Hello, and welcome back. You are joining us today for our 24th episode of Opportunity Thrives. I'm Jean Sharp, and on this show, we are committed to better supporting the needs of today's secondary students through interviews with students, teachers, administrators, technologists, and education influencers. We want to understand what's working in our schools today, what's not, and how we can impact positive, lasting change. We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions on our show. Please click in the podcast notes to leave us a review, provide your input, or send us questions. You can also reach out to us at info at opportunitythrives.com. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Shauna Finley, who is an education expert, strategic partner, and a curriculum developer and facilitator for communities in schools. Welcome, Shauna. We're delighted to have you join us today. Well, hello, Jean. How are you? Thank you so much for this invitation. I'm doing well. Thank you. And we are delighted you can join us. To begin with, would you mind telling our listeners a little bit more about yourself, your background, and the path that led you to communities in school? I am an educator, Jean, just like yourself. I was introduced to communities in schools when I was an adult and career technical education coordinator for East Chicago Central High School in Indiana. They were a partner within our school building, and I was their after-school charting for a success instructor. You see, I was able to prep students for their ACT and SAT exams. I also helped them create their portfolios for their college application. From there, I became a principal of an adult high school for a year and returned to East Chicago Central High School as the principal for four years. Um, The school was at risk for at state takeover when I became their leader. I knew that communities and schools would be key to a successful turnaround. I was correct. We went from a failing school district to an accountability grade of B because of integrated student supports provided by communities in school. There were other initiatives that we implemented, but CIS offered evidence-based research supports for our students. During my tenure at East Chicago Central High School, I was promoted to a district position for the school city of East Chicago. I was promoted to assistant superintendent, and as a district district leader, wrote a grant to support communities and schools and our entire district from grades K through 12. It was the best decision that I made for our students. Thank you, Shauna. And Shauna, you you and I have already discovered we have similar roots because we both grew up in the Chicago area. So it's nice to hear that connection as well. We certainly know how important it is to make sure our students have integrated supports in their school day. And recently, we've had the opportunity to learn more about the important work that Communities and Schools is doing and how your organization is making a difference in the lives of students, particularly those students who are struggling. Would you share a little bit about your mission and the purpose of communities and schools with our listeners? Our mission is very simple, really. And it's a mission to surround students with a community of support, empowering them to stay in school and achieve in life. It is about meeting our students where they are, providing them those wraparound supports to help them navigate life after high school. So post-secondary options, be it a four-year college, a two-year college, or straight into a career or into the military. So our goal is ultimately to empower them to achieve in life. 
Absolutely. So you've talked a little bit about your focus and your priorities as an organization. Can you also elaborate a little bit more on the students that you're serving? Absolutely. We serve students throughout this entire nation, which makes us a great national nonprofit to be uh, working for in in the position that I'm in. So I, I thoroughly enjoy it. And in 2018, 2019, we reached 1.62 million students, case managed 147,600 students. And to add additional contact to that number, 84% of the students case managed were students of color. 91% were eligible for free or reduced lunch. And we partner with 2,500 schools and community sites and work with 8,100 community partner organizations. We are the most effective model for kids and research support it. Nothing reduces dropout rates and increases on-time graduation rate better than our evidence-based model. And I mean, absolutely nothing. Those are very impressive numbers, Shauna. When you think about the, the ways that communities and schools connects with students and families, can you describe how that happens within the larger school community? Yes. So based on the needs of the school and the community, we have site coordinators that provide any or all of the following types of services. So academic assistance, basic needs for students, behavioral interventions, college and career preparatory supports, community and service learning, um, academic enrichment, family engagement, life skills, mental and physical health supports we provide to our students and more. But this is these are the basic things that we provide to our school and community through our site coordinator. Excellent. So at the site coordinators are working at the local school level. Can you tell us a little bit more about what their role would look like on a day-to-day basis? Yes. So the site coordinator works inside the school with principals, teachers, and other support personnel to force community partnerships that bring resources into the school to help remove barriers to learning. That is how we were able to turn around the school district that I mentioned in my introduction, is to bring in those partnerships to be able to help our students move to an on-time graduation. CIS coordinators uh, work closely with the school support teams and school leadership to identify at-risk students and needs of support. We also coordinate in partners and service providers to address the potential sources of dropout. We also coordinate supports to impact school-wide climate and culture. We all know as academic academians, that is very important. Your school climate and your school culture will drive and dictate a number of outcomes for your, our students. We also case manage 5 to 10% of the student population, tracking the progress of these students and providing individualized support when needed. And then we monitor and adjust and report on the supports that are available for students in the school. Excellent. Thank you. You know, certainly we know that that these types of services make a difference for students, sometimes a difference between staying in school and leaving school. And you must have many, many stories about how your work has had an impact directly on the lives of students. I'm wondering if there is a particular story that stands out in your mind that you would like to share with our listeners today. Well, yes, there is one. And it's it's interesting because I know that you're in the Midwest area still. So there is a school district in the East Grand Fork, Minnesota <laughs> that we have. Part- <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I laugh. I, it's awesome. Right. So uh, we had an opportunity to partner with East Grand Forks, the entire school district, and they located in Minnesota. I'm truly there right across the street from North Dakota. I visited there a few times. And if you threw a rock, you're in North Dakota. You threw a rock and you're in Minnesota. They're right at that state line. But East Grand Grand Forks 
selected communities and schools as its partner to help them address new challenges of serving a small but growing um, immigrant and refugee community. So we offer a product um, with through communities and schools called Ramp Up for Student Success. So through the Ramp Up for Student Success Professional Development Series, School staff received hands-on training tailored to specific district needs and implementation support as they began to use the tools and coursework. Ramp Up for Student Success has helped East Grand Forks Public Schools adopt a systemic whole child approach to support its students with accountability and transparency at the core. Excellent. So it's certainly in this day and time with all of the disruption to our education programs right now, we understand the value of relationships. In fact, many of our students are engaging in school because of the relationships they have with teachers. Can you help our listeners understand the value your organization brings in developing relationships with students and with educators in a way that helps them commit to the learning? Through pedagogy, educators are initially trained on how to meet the academic needs of students. So in partnership with our CIS site coordinators, we work and they work in tandem with those educators to provide those non-academic supports, which are extremely important. We know Maslow's hierarchy of basic needs says that if you don't meet these basic needs in in anyone, in any parts of your life, it makes achieving the academic outcomes really challenging. So we really focus on those non-academic supports. So they're called integrated student supports is what they are really called. So in partnership with our school districts, we increase graduation rates through our relationships. We reduce dropout rates through our relationships and we improve school attendance rate through our relationships. That's great. Certainly makes a huge difference when you can have an impact on those critical areas, because uh, obviously that is how students begin to get to the academics. And we've also talked about Maslow before Bloom or connections before curriculum right now. Those relationships are so important. I'm curious, Shauna, as we are re-engaging schools, students in schools right now as we step into the fall here and see how the fall unfolds, which is very different in every school district across the nation right now. I'm wondering how you are re-engaging with your school communities and what lessons you're learning as you walk through this new journey with your students and your school community as well. When schools close, we not only lost the physical space for learning, we lost the social space, right, for our kids. We lost the engagement space and the space for community and support where communities and schools and others connect with students. So we know our organizations, our students, our teachers, everyone lost something in in this school closure. But schools look different now and we will continue to look different for some time. We need to start broadening the sense that a learning climate is not just within the school building, but also at home and online. So those partnerships with our parents are very important. Our previous understanding of a positive school climate should now be broadened to reflect positive learning climates everywhere. What we know to be true for our students is still true now. Our students will reflect what is happening in their home, communities, and schools in their engagement in the learning environment and the academic environment. Young people feel distressed and disconnected. They are really worried about falling behind in school. They're anxious 
about the health and finances of their loved ones and frustrated by the national struggle over systemic racism, which really affects many of them personally. So in recovering, we need that they start thinking about how we support our schools. So our schools need the financial and community support to reconnect with students who may have been disengaged during this disruption at the end of last school year. So that March to June timeline. So we need to also think about re-engaging. We need to help schools and families with strategies so that re-engagement doesn't just look like logging in uh, to a virtual classroom or being, you know, back behind the, the in a school desk. A re-engaged student is one whose basic needs and social and emotional needs are addressed so that the students can be empowered with their own learning and then reimagining what schools are going to look like. The world has such a huge desire to find a sense of normalcy and returning to times before the disruption from the pandemic. I'm not sure we're going to go there again, right? And while we're incredibly supportive of efforts and public health advances that will help us be together again safely, we are resolute in our belief that normal wasn't working for everyone before. That is our harsh reality as educators. Our responsibility as citizens is to make sure that our education and community leaders build an education system that works for everyone, removing the barriers of unequal access, disparate resources, and structural racism. You know, Shauna, I hear a lot of people lament a bit to say we can't wait to return to normal, but I I tend to agree with your perspective. I don't think we're going back to the way it was before. I think we go back to something different or go on to something different probably is a better way to say it. For the students and the schools that you're working with on a regular basis, what do you think has been really effective for them in managing through these really challenging times. What would you say has been key to their approach and their success? Well, um, a few things, actually. Um, Four primary principles that I would like to highlight here have been the keys to our approach and success. Number one, assessing the well-being of students and their families on a regular basis. We've been able to do that as communities, as a communities and schools leader to get resources into the hands of our affiliate partners. So that is very important. Number two, constant <laughs> communication with parents and your internal and external stakeholders, as well as your local partner. Three, using local public health data and specific school information to support their ability to open or temporarily close schools. I just gave an example when we first logged on that I, you know I'm navigating at home with my own personal son, my middle schooler. You know we're virtual one day, we're in person another, and due to those uh, health data happening locally within our community, is what's driving a lot of those decisions. And lastly, develop a comprehensive plan to support learning approaches which addresses the school district's needs. Those are great tips in terms of thinking about how to manage through this change. And I think most of our listeners would certainly agree that we're looking at both the health and wellness of the student and their family, but also, of course, the need for constant communication and variation depending on local circumstances. Our local district in our area just returned to remote learning on Monday of this week after several weeks of hybrid learning as well due to circumstances. So those transitions are just very real for our students. Um, When you think about the schools that you're working with as well, is there anything that stands out to you that they're doing differently than perhaps they have done in the past that is effective for their school community and for their students? 
Students, parents, and teachers are all adjusting, as we just stated, to academic situations as they arise. Nothing is normal. And to be more specific within our communities and schools network, we have built supports for our students and their families. We have resources to support how to reconnect with students, families, and teachers, and support recovery and re-engage with the learning environment. And we do a really good job of that. And we also closely monitor our re-engagement strategy to ensure we have the appropriate tools in place to support those internal and external uh, stakeholders. Excellent. And Shauna, you had mentioned that, you know, certainly there is a, a new normal, if you will, that we're likely to return to. So I'm curious, given the experience that we had in the spring, and now what we're learning already in the fall, you must have a short list, a policy, a strategy, expectations that you think will become part of those best practices for education going forward, even when the pandemic is behind us. I'm curious what your short list is. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'll short. I'll short my list to three. I have three. <laughs> that's a long list, right? <laughs> and I think we all have very long lists right now. Yes. <laughs> but we're focused as an organization to substantially increase funding for our Title I schools. That is one area of focus. The next area of focus is passing the Community Serving School Act of 2020. Now, what does this do? This will provide grants to state and local education agencies to invest in wraparound school services that assist with the health, well-being, and stability of students outside of the classroom. And lastly, ensuring that every high poverty school has the resources they need to staff an on-site coordinator who can implement integrated student supports. That is very important. I, I will give you just a little sidebar example. We're having organizations reach out to us who not necessarily have had to think about these sorts of things in the past, right? So we know that the need to address those non-academic needs related to integrated student supports is going to be part of the new normal. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Shauna, just to elaborate a little bit for our listeners, are you looking at this as federal funding that you're expecting or are there state and local funds that you're tapping into as well? We are looking at this from a federal policy initiative. We do have staff and uh, teams of individuals that really coordinate and work with our federal um, legislators to talk about things that our students need because that's what that's what this is about. This is about our students at the end of the day and their outcomes. Our um, CEO and president, Ray Saldana, is a, um, he's new to the organization and <laughs> he started in March, <laughs> right when the pandemic <laughs> hit, right? Welcome. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> and he has not been able to get into the office at all. And we're located in Arlington, Virginia. So it's just been really interesting. But nonetheless, he really does lay a foundation of supports for students and how we can um, support students throughout the entire country. And even with our 1.62 million students that we have served, we know that there's a lot more students we need to serve. Um, Ray Saldano is a former communities and schools student. He's, um, he lives in San Antonio, Texas. So he has firsthand experience. And to see him utilize the supports to be able to navigate um, through his uh, life and to be in the position he is right now as the CEO and president of communities and schools, it speaks volumes to the power that we um, have to be able to support our students. Absolutely. That's very inspirational. And certainly someone who can speak with deep, deep understanding of what the benefits 
benefits were and how communities and school made a difference in his life. And now the opportunity to pay that forward and make a difference in the lives of other students as well. Very, very impressive. Absolutely. So I'm curious, as you think about the future of education and what the schools will likely look like when the pandemic is over, there are many of us who have speculated or put a, a stake in the sand to say these things will likely change. What do you think will likely change about schools in the near term and over the long term? And how is communities and schools poised to address these challenges? Well, great segue from the conversation we were just having. So mm-hmm. integrated student supports and other wraparound service models only serve, believe it or not, 1.5 to 2 million kids, which is a fraction of the students who need comprehensive services to boost their chances of staying in school and going to college, especially during a pandemic that is exasperating education inequities that we have. So it's tempting, but we can't simply go back to normal because normal was never a really level playing field for everyone. There is a stark achievement and graduation gap between white wealthy students and their poor minority peers. We need to take this moment to build a system that works for all students. So to close the opportunity gap, we have to embrace a bold vision for the future and give every student in Title I schools, which serve low-income students, access to a staffer who can connect them to the -the out-of-the-classroom resources they need to succeed. Physical and mental health services, housing, food, and other assistance must should be must-have, not nice-to-have completely agree with you. So I'm curious if there is a silver lining that has come out of this pandemic and and what we've experienced in our schools, what would be your silver lining? Mm, Let's see. Lots of silver linings. I mean, I I think uh, the inequities have been revealed to us throughout this nation. So we know that we have some work to do to address some of those inequities, right? So that even though it may not feel good right now, we know that we cannot go back to normal and we need to figure out what we need to do to support our students and their families. So for all students to succeed, we need to address what's holding them back outside the classroom as well as in it. Um, We need to to be working with community partners to proactively help families facing eviction and to address police presence in schools and the inequities in our criminal justice system that the nationwide protests over George Floyd's death have brought much needed attention to. We need more programs like what we have in communities and schools in Houston. Um, They're handled with care, which works with police departments to alert schools when a student's family is dealing with violence at home so that the teachers and administrators can address the trauma that the child is facing. We need integrated student support, not only to be in every Title I school, but also for service providers and schools to deepen their work, to smash barriers and their commitment to the families we serve. Absolutely. Thank you, Shauna. So Shauna, the question that I want to ask of you is we have a a large number of students across the country who have not engaged with schools since schools closed, basically, in the spring timeframe. What can we specifically do to get students reengaged in school and in learning? We need to really engage with our local partners and our parents. This is where those relationships are very important. Um, I can give you some examples that I'm hearing throughout the country. Um, Those kids who have not engaged in learning at all, we have individuals going to knock on doors first because they may not even live there anymore. You don't know. So, or they may be in crisis and you won't know. So that's one of the things that we need to do. And we need to make sure that we're checking in with the students who are checking in with us on a regular basis, um, using some sort of tool 
tool to say, hey, academic well-being tool to say, hey, how are you doing before we jump into the academic learning? Because there may be some other things happening at home that's uh, minimizing their level of engagement as well. So I would encourage our partners, our, our school districts to definitely partner with local organizations and other school people within the school, like your social workers, your guidance counselors, if they can go out and knock on the doors of some of our students when at all possible, but take, and if necessary, take a local police officer with you. I have a feeling that they would be willing to support us on this journey because they want to see their community be successful as well. Without a doubt. Absolutely. So I'm also curious, one of the things that I think is a concern for many is that we may start to see a larger number of students choose not to return to school and that the work and progress that we have made for reducing our dropout rate over the years may start to see a different pattern coming forward. I'm curious about your perspective on that. And if, you, if you're if you seeing anything in terms of a pattern or are proactively trying to begin to address something that relates to keeping students engaged and, and preventing them from making the decision to drop out. This is a challenge for everyone in the country. I'm a parent and I did not disclose this at the beginning, but I also serve on my local school board. So um, we have seen a huge drop off of students that are actively engaged in the learning process. And our main concern right now is that we will probably have students that won't want to return to things as they were, so to speak. So one of the things that I'm starting to ask our um, leadership team at the school district level is what are we going to do for those kids that are at really overwhelmed about coming back to school in in this environment, (laughs) because that's a Mm -hmm. real concern. Will we offer virtual learning opportunities for those students? Will we not? Those are questions we need to start asking ourselves. What are we going to do with those kids who really don't want to come back and and pursue a high school diploma? Are we going to try to link them up with a partner in the community so that we can continue to support them academically? Because we know that when you have higher, more education, you have more income (laughs) within your pocket. So how are we going to engage with those students as well? So there are a myriad of things that I'm thinking about personally as an educator and as a local leader within the community that we need to start thinking about how we're going to address and support our students and their families and the overall community. Very good. I'd like to give you an opportunity here to share any closing thoughts or key message that you want to our listeners to really know and hear as we wrap up today. I would encourage all of our listeners to figure out a way to, if you're an educator, reach out to those existing partners, all right? Do some asset mapping, figure out who's out there that you need to partner with if you've not done it in the past. If there have been some hurt feelings in the past because of previous partnerships, it's time to mend some of those because I know that that has happened too in some communities. But we all need to figure out what we need to do overall so that we can support our students, support our family, which families, which impact our entire community. So I want to say in partnership, we are great together. That is a great way to close us out today. Shauna, thank you so much for your time today. This has really been a great conversation. And I think it's so important that we talk with nonprofit leaders who are making such an important difference in the lives of our students. And Opportunity Thrives listeners, thank you for your time today. If you are enjoying our podcast, we would love it if you would take just a minute of your time and share your feedback on our show by providing a review on either Spotify, iTunes, or whatever platform you listen. And please reach out to us with questions or comments at info at opportunitythrives.com. Thanks so much for tuning in today, and we'll see you next time.